One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. It is It has been absolutely nuts. <clears throat> my, my voice is wrecked. Uh, but um, I have been on a, a traveling kind of circus over the last couple of weeks. Um, and so I wasn't able to talk to you guys last Friday uh, as I was at Dragon Con, which is, you know, 85,000 people in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, uh, all dressed as sci-fi characters and that kind of stuff. Uh, I was asked uh, earlier if I dressed up and I said I, I went as a, as a Tennessee fan. Uh, but that's about the best that, that I did. But uh, it's an annual trip my daughter and I take. Uh, we had a fantastic time. Um, previous to that, I was in Buffalo, New York. I was in Philadelphia. Uh, I was in Denver, Colorado. So just a lot of travel lately. So I'm actually home for a few days. And then uh, we'll be heading out uh, September 12th. We're going to be doing the, uh, I'm hosting uh, the PMI Organizational Agility Conference, which you can find all the details there on projectmanagement.com. And then on the 13th and 14th, I'll be in Richmond, Virginia, spending time with the Project Management Institute chapter there um, and really looking forward to that. So, uh, and I think then the following week, we're going to be back in Kansas City. So a lot of stuff going on. Um, and what was interesting is when I was in Philadelphia, I was actually there to be an expert witness um, on a, a federal trial. We were actually in mediation. Um, and so I can't really discuss the case, but what was interesting in the parallel of the case is that it reminded me and was very familiar to a story of mine. And, and I, I don't think I've ever really shared this on the show, um, and it's not something I really talk about a whole lot, but it is one of the things that I think is, I consider one of my largest failures. And uh, when I went through it, um, you know, all the stuff that, that I was seeing the lady that, that I was working with in, in Philadelphia doing, um, it just reminded me a whole lot of this story. So I decided to, to tell the story today. It's gonna be, it's, I'm going to do my best um, because it's a long story. And obviously, I've got negative feelings uh, towards the story. Although if you, if you want to uh, pinpoint kind of where in my career I really started the personal growth journey, I, I would say it was right after this project ended. Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We hope that you guys hang out uh, because um, you know, what's really interesting when you tell a story like I'm about to tell, it, uh, it sounds almost ludicrous and it, and it really is, um, but you're only getting the highlights. When you're there and you're living through it, and you're going through stuff day by day, then those are kind of micro events that are happening and that big macro picture of where it ends up, you, you don't always see, right? It's kind of like, uh, you know, when you see your kids every day and then somebody hasn't seen them in a year, they're like, wow, they've really grown or they've really changed. And you're kind of like, yeah, but I mean, you saw the change every day. You saw it gradual. Um, when, when somebody kind of takes a step back and looks at it from a macro level and and that's what was interesting for me being the, the expert witness is I had to read all this documentation. So I'm actually getting the macro level and, and coming up with assumptions and, and coming up with ideas and thoughts. Um, but, you know, you have to really temper that knowing that the people that went through it, it was a micro event. It was something, 
you know, it was gradual change and a gradual deterioration of a, a relationship. Um, and so the, it's very difficult to, to kind of see that when you're in it. And so um, we'll, we'll start the story with you know, my, my vision of hope. So uh, I'm not going to say client names. I'm not going to say people's names. Um, I'm, I'm going to do my best to, to protect the innocent here. Uh, but um, it certainly was something that, you know, I love to share the experience in, in order to, to help others if, the, if they're caught in this. And I think I'll start um, with what we were contracted to do, and then I'll, I'll tell some of the stories that, that happened. Um, but before I do that, the, the biggest thing I think is interesting is it, it came down to money in the end. Um, and I'm a warrior and somebody who fights for small business, but when you have these very large companies, and, and we're talking you know, in the upwards of billions of dollars of revenue, um, they start to stop seeing people. And so what ends up happening is they'll just say, oh, we're not going to pay this group or we're not going to pay that group. Um, or they're going to try to get as much as they can for, for little money, not realizing that, um, that that's somebody's you know, true income. And when you're dealing with an organization of that size, uh, you end up devoting your entire time to it. So you're not hunting other clients. You're not um, doing other things. You're just kind of servicing that client. So if that goes south and they withhold payment, um, that can be a very, very difficult thing uh, to go through. So to, to start this story, we, we got a phone call. It was a, a huge organization, a great opportunity. Um, and we went in and, and met with them. And uh, they asked us to kind of come in for a few days, uh, do a review, and then see what we could do to assist. And so as we went through it, um, we saw some items in the project management process, uh, the project process, um, something around gate reviews, which I'll get into, um, uh, compliance, uh, the quality of their project management group, um, and then how they were utilizing their system uh, called Clarity or CAPPM is what it is now. And so um, we did that. We saw a lot of stuff and a lot of things that we felt like we could help with. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting, right? So we, we kind of came up with a menu item, a menu option to allow people to select what it is that they wanted us to do. And, um, but then we had to put out a findings study. And so what was interesting about the findings study, and this was kind of the first time I really needed to kind of check what was happening. It was, this was the first inclination. Again, it was a micro event. Um, but when you start to look at the bigger picture of everything that happened, this is kind of where I saw it go wrong right out of the gate. So one of the key things that we had found um, was the, the gate review process. And what was interesting about that process is, you know, through some quick calculations and high level calculations, we were seeing that it was costing the company about $3.5 million to, to run this process. And when you talk to their people about, you know, what are you getting out of the process? Why do you, why do you do the process? Um, they, they say things like, well, you know, all documentation has to be in this one area, except that everybody's asking us to put it in four different areas. Um, then somebody else says, um, you know, we feel like the, um, we feel like the, the decisions already made before we go to the gate. Um, we also heard things like, um, there, there's a deviation form that you have to fill out and take to the, uh, to the committee. And one of the largest deviations is 
a box for, for, you know, something they call test failure. And um, they, they weren't able to just simply select what really happened in these deviations. And so it gave them, you know, a lack of visibility um, or a, a delay. Um, and then, you know, some of the things we heard is the decision makers were being delegated to. So the, you know, the big decision makers weren't even going to the meeting. And so then the delegate wouldn't have the comfort or authority to, to make the decision. Um, and then that turned around and, and caused the project to go to another gate. Um, and so you could just see, you know, all the, all this stuff. So they said, um, as we went through and looked at a study, it was taking about an average of 88 hours for a project manager to do everything they need to do to, to prepare for this gate. And so, you know, our question is, was and, and posed to the organization, if it's costing you $3.7 million to run this process, what's the value that you're getting out of the process? What, what, what value are you you're getting from them? Um, and we, we said, you know, the benefit needs to be at least, you know, $4 million or more. Really should double it and look at about seven. But can you even say you got $4 million of business value from either killing a project or that kind of stuff? And the general perception uh, of the employees is that about 5% of the process actually added value to them. And um, so that was something we really wanted to attack. So here was like the first kind of aha moment, right? So that all sounds okay, makes sense. And we said, so let's attack the gate process. Let's, let's do it on both ends though. One, let's find ways to reduce the time it takes to prepare for a gate. Number two, let's improve the value of the decision-making that, that we're doing in the gate. And the response from the, the organization um, was to cut that whole section. Like they, they didn't want any of that talked about. And that gave me that first insight into corporate culture because I was like, well, why shouldn't we talk about it? Why aren't we talking about it? And the answer, I, I find out that the person that we turned it into owned that gate process and felt like if we did something to cut that out, then that would be cutting his job security. And I'm sitting there going, dude, it's still $4 million and it's, we're not getting any value. You know, if you fix it, then you're the person who fixed it. If you continue to run it, then you're the person who failed it. And, and that's, you know, I, I was trying to get that across and, and it didn't work out. So they cut that whole section. But they did want us to start to improve the gate process. And so as part of that, what we decided we were going to do just from a scope perspective is that, um, you know, like their financials were in another system, their timekeeping was in another system. So we needed to consolidate all these systems and, and reverse the flows. So instead of tracking time outside of your project management system and then trying to bring that in from your financial system, why not track time in the project management system and push it to the financial system, right? It's, it's going to end up the same thing, but one's going to be far more accurate and have benefit than the other. And so those were the types of things that, that we were talking about. I could tell you that the feeling in the room when we were talking about all the things that we were going to do was, was tremendous. Everybody was excited. Everything was, you know, ready to go. We signed this huge scope of work by far um, probably one of the, the largest undertakings we had taken on at the time and uh, we were ready to go. And so the project starts and immediately we start to run into roadblocks. And so what we're going to do um, is we're going to talk through the roadblocks. We're going to talk through some of the, the situations, 
But really, I, I want to tell this story because of the aftermath uh, of what happens when a project this size uh, goes awry. You know, there, there's absolutely 100% an aftermath. Um, and I think it was the greatest example in my career of teaching me what I want to avoid uh, really for the rest of my life as a business owner. So we'll get into what those roadblocks were, but we're going to take a break right here first. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile. And there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to this Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. I'm I'm essentially ripping off a Band-Aid and telling a story I don't like to tell a whole lot, but I think that there's value in the story, especially... Um, for those of us that have gone through some tough times and, and had projects that failed, um, it, it's nice to hear sometimes uh, about other people's experiences just because we can relate. So that's what I'm trying to do today. And so in the first segment, we established kind of the scope of what we were going to do. 
Um, and I, I am trying to, to keep the, I could probably tell this story over 10 hours. And so we're just going highlights here for, for the next 40 minutes or so. So the first thing that we were going to do was a workshop. And what was interesting is they had a large investment into a tool called Clarity, which is CA's project portfolio management tool. And uh, we were hearing things when we were going through our findings, like, you know, Clarity can't do this. It's not set up to do this. You're not allowed to do this, that kind of stuff. And none of that was making sense to me, just knowing what I knew about the system. So I said, you know what, let's have a workshop. Let's get the worst, you know, the people that, that hate the tool the most. Let, let's get them into a room and have them throw everything at us of what it can't do, why they hate it, why they don't like it. And if we can make it through that workshop um, and, and convince them that, that this is the right tool, then we can move forward with, with our next plan, uh, which was to upgrade the system and make some modifications to it. So uh, we did that, and it was actually a lot of fun. I, I enjoy those types of workshops because it's not about um, convincing anybody. It's, it's really just allowing them to openly air frustration, and then you've got ideas and thoughts that, that can help. But it's actually a lot of fun when we do these. Um, and so they came, I mean, just guns, guns blazing. And what was interesting was when we started to go through the objections, there were things um, that I know I can do in the system, but I could not do it in theirs. And so essentially they were right. So um, when I started to investigate, so I, I had to flip over to a demo environment so I could show kind of out of the box how everything works. When I started to investigate, um, that's when we first met their on-site uh, Clarity team. And so they had a team there that, that managed the tool on-site. They were another vendor. Um, and all, right there was territory. That's when the territory line was drawn. Because we started asking questions, why is this, why is that? They are like, well, we, we locked that down. And you're like, yeah, you can lock it down by role, but you don't need to to lock it down to even if I'm an admin supposed to have every right in the system, I still can't do it. So um, there was a definite difference in opinion, but the difference for me was we already know the results of their way, right? Their, their way of locking everything down to the nth degree was creating frustration. It was taking 80 hours to do work, it, all kinds of stuff. So we already know what the downstream effects are of these decisions. So let's start to, to peel back some of those decisions and open it up. Again, territory line was drawn. So everybody loved the workshop and they're like, let's, let's get going and, and get a test server up and start to see what we can do. And so this is where this whole pattern started to, to uh, show me um, what was happening with, with this group. So this group technically was part of internal IT or information technology. And so their business line, their customer would come to us and say, we want to be able to do this. So we go to IT and say, this is what we're going to do. They're like, wait, you got to fill out a document before you can do that. You, you can't do it. And we're like, okay, sure. You know, that's the process, whatever. Um, can we have an example uh, of a document that's filled out so that we know we're putting the, the information in the right spot? Uh, no, no, you can't, you can't have a, a copy. We're, we're not allowed to give them to you. Okay, well, I guess we'll just do our best to, to fill out this document. They go, yeah, yeah, fill it out. We got to have it before you can go forward. Says, sure. So you submit the document and then they come back and go, oh, the document's wrong. You can't, you can't do it. We're like, well, where is it wrong? Well, you got to fill out these three things. Well, okay. Can we have an example? No. And I'm like, ah, oh, so here we go. 
right? Really, this is a stall tactic so that we don't have to do it. Well, what we started to learn behind the scenes is they would go and implement the change that we were saying that we wanted to do. Um, and then they come back and they go, well, it's done. And we, <laughs> now, me being me at the time, I was like, cool. Um, but you just implemented something. Where is your document that I had to fill out? You know, the exact same document that I had to do. Where's yours? Because you were saying that was your process. You were saying that was the way you had to do it. And you're not allowed to do anything unless that document exists. And they'd be like, uh, we don't have one. So when I would bubble that up, uh, all of a sudden we'd get something, but it was not even close to the document that we filled out. And so that was a pattern that started to go. So the, the next step would be, you know, our customers coming in going, when can you have a test server up? And I'd say, and so literally, I'll give you insight to the conversation. So I would sit down and go, okay, what's the process for us to follow to get a test server stood up? And they go, oh, okay, you've got to have a, a business requirements document. Great. Um, how long does that take to fill out? Oh, we, Rick, we can't tell you that. Well, wh why not? Well, we just, you know, I said, well, how many have you guys done? Oh, we've done thousands, thousands. I said, okay, well, what's the fastest you've ever done one? Rick, you, you, can't, you can't ask us that question. I just did. No, you can't, you can't ask us that. All right, well, what's the longest one's ever taken you? Rick, we, we don't know. We can't answer that. Okay, well, since we're doing the same system that you already have implemented, can we just take the documentation that you have for this system? No, we're, we're not allowed to share it. And I'd say, so what do you want me to tell the customer in terms of how long it's going to take to get a test server up? I don't know. You come up with it. So then we would go to the meeting with the customer and he'd say, how long is it going to take? I'd say, I, I don't know. And they'd say, well, we, we told Rick two weeks. That's, that's what we told them. And so I'm going, oh, so it's going to be this game. This is how we're going to play. We're not going to answer any of your questions, but we're going to give the answers directly to the customer. You're trying to push us out. Okay, cool. Got it. So, again, red flag, huge red flag, but we persevered, we pressed on, because, again, we had something that we were contracted to do. Now, the, the next thing that we started to walk down was they wanted to establish an enterprise project management office. That there was ton, they had a ton of project management offices, but they wanted an enterprise one. So, I said, okay, so why don't we work with executives, we'll, we'll plan and, and charter this EPMO, and then we'll work with each division to select, you know, a representative. Um, and then we can talk about what our scope of duties are. Um, we'll facilitate forming the team. We'll train them on what the best practices are. Um, and one of the things that we'll do, is, and we were really excited about this, is I said, you know, we could do a maturity study. So you guys have already contracted us. Why don't we do a maturity study to say where we are here, and then in six months we can do it again, and we can chart the growth that could be directly attributable to the EPMO. Um, and everybody said they were on board. So we do our first study and, and we're expecting the maturity to be low. That's why they're investing so much money into you know, reshaping and revamping their project management processes. And, really, and their quote from one of the executives was, we wanna be world-class at, at project management. I said, awesome, Let, let's go, man, let's do this. So we start going through and um, everybody has to fill out this maturity study and that was supposed to take two weeks. And uh, so two weeks goes by, the, the study's not done and we had set up to meet weekly. And they were like, well, so their first order of business that they brought to the table was, 
well, why do we have to meet weekly? I was like, well, I'm a consultant. You guys are really busy. If we make it, you know, every other week and somebody misses a meeting, then I only get to check in with you guys once a month. This way, if you have to miss a meeting, you can miss it. But then, you know, we're hearing from you at, at worst, you know, every two weeks. So they're like, whatever. Okay, that's fine. So we charter that. We do that. They're supposed to fill out the maturity study. I miss one meeting. And when I come back, they had moved to change the meetings to once a month. They said, we don't like the maturity study, so we're going we're gonna to, ch- because our score is low, so we're going to change to this one where our score is high, and we're going to, um, we're going to deploy this new training. And so I came in, I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So no, like who moved to do all of this? And they're like, well, that's just what we're going to do. And then they turned around and dissolved the EPMO. And here's what I got out of that. When I started to look into it and started to talk to people, everybody at the executive layer wanted their own PMO because they wanted to be able to direct the activities of their own PMO. But again, the voice of the people, all of the people that we had talked to said that they get direction from nine different PMOs. They don't know what to do. And there's not a congruent right strategy, which is why we suggested the EPMO in the first place. Um, but because it was going to be a little bit uncomfortable, because we we're going to be talking change, because some people would have to compromise on, on certain things, they killed it. So again, another huge red flag for us. Um, but, you know, we still had this, this other portion of the project that we had to do. And so we started to, to continue down that path. But essentially, you know, all of these different patterns started to arise as we were doing things. So as we started to get into the system work, we would say something like, hey, you know, we need some help um, looking at this to see how you configured it. And they, their, their answer would be, no, no, it's, it's too complex. Uh, you know, here, here, here's a document, figure it out. So we would agree to the complexity. And then they, when we started to push back and, and ask questions, they would bail out and, and have little or no explanation whatsoever. Um, and, and that pattern also continued with uh, coding. So as we started to code things, which it's a pretty simple language that, that we utilize, um, they would say, oh, this is technically complex. We, we don't understand how this code works. Um, we would actually push back and say, it's not that technical, and here's what will happen. And they go, oh, okay, here's our solution then. Right, so it was almost like deny, 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 deny. Now, granted, again, I'm I'm surmising this, but this this was happening over months of time versus you know a day by day kind of thing, um, and so that's frustration. But for a lot of business owners and somebody who was as optimistic as I am, um, you can overcome that. You can overcome these challenges. Okay, this guy's going to be difficult to work with. That's fine, um, but you press forward because you know change is hard. And as John Maxwell says, everything in life worthwhile is uphill. So if it was just a super easy ride, then we weren't really affecting the organization the way we should. So I was expecting difficult. I was expecting hard. What I wasn't expecting was out and out lies and sabotage. And we'll actually talk about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? 
R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we are back to the Work-Life Balance. I'm I'm telling, uh, you know, kind of a story of one of our biggest failures. And and, uh, I talked through the, the scope in the first segment. Second segment, I was just talking about some of the work that we were doing and excuse me, where some of the patterns started to evolve. So this section is where it kind of got nasty. Um, So obviously in any project, especially when you have deadlines looming, a lot of pressure gets mounted. Um, And so our team was working tirelessly at an incredible staff of people that was, that was working on this project uh, for us and uh, really kind of burning the extra hours. And we were delivering code. And again, we were told the reason why we're doing it is because the team themselves didn't understand what we were doing. So that's fine. No worries. So now though they come back to us and they said, well, as part of our process, this team has to test it and they're the ones that are going to have to support it. So you, you know, you got to run everything through them. So I'm like, so you want us to run everything that we're doing for you through a team that can't do it for you and they don't want us here. 
right? They, they, they don't want us anywhere around. Um, and the answer was kind of, yeah, yeah, that's what's going to happen. So here was kind of the, one of the biggest cruxes of what was happening is that the team, we would submit our code. The internal team would then go to the customer and go, this is wrong. This is wrong. We, we can't support this. They're going to break everything if they do this, blah, blah, blah. And so then we'd have to fend off the customer who doesn't really know and tell them, you know, why it was structurally sound, how we came up with it, that kind of stuff. And I'll give you, uh, for instance, um, we were reworking a feed for SAP to pull financials into CAPPM. And so to make sure that we were doing the right thing, I actually had design reviews with the people who wrote the financial mod module at CA and got them to vet off on all the requirements. So when these guys are coming and saying, you know, this is going to break the tool, um, we actually had the people who wrote the tool on, on our side. So we would push through, we'd start to submit code, but then they would start reporting like random errors to us. And they'd say, see, now when we'd ask, you know, where in the code do you think that's happening? Their response would be, well, we don't, we don't know how to read the code. We don't, we don't know this code. I said, okay. Well, it turns out what we were able to find is they actually did know the code, and, and I thought that was a, a lie most of the time. And what they would do is they'd find an error in the code, um, and that happens. There's errors in code. You fix them. It's bugs. It's no big deal. Um, but they'd find an error in the code, and instead of reporting what the error was, they would allow it to go about six, seven steps downstream, and they'd report that error that seemingly had nothing to do with, with it, essentially sending us on a wild goose chase. Now, here's what bothers me about that, is when we're playing games like this, right, the company who we're servicing, and we're both servicing this company, uh, is paying extra money for them to basically sabotage and paying money to us to defend their sabotage. And so they're double paying and they're getting zero value out of it because it's a fight between two vendors. It's not, uh, has anything to do with the value to the organization. And so, you know, we would go through this stuff. We'd say like, all right, we're, we're going to develop this scorecard. It's really important. And they go, oh, well, you got to fill out this document. I was like, all right, here we go again. So we'd fill out the document. In one case, I, I believe we sent the document in like August, you know, third or fourth, something like that. It was October before we got their comments. Yet it was supposed to be go live in, in the fourth quarter, right? So they wanted it done by December, but but they wasted, you know, almost three months, right? From the 1st of August to the end of October, uh, just getting a document um, reviewed. So after we finally get through that whole process and get that signed off, they come back and go, well, this is actually more elaborate than we thought. So you need to do this document now. And so I went finally, you know, by, by this time I'm getting super frustrated. We're not getting anywhere. We're supposed to be done by December. And so um, I, I start to meet with the executives and, and just start to say, you know what? Um, all this documentation isn't getting you any value. All they're doing is arguing. And so we basically threatened that, you know, we're, we're going to walk. And all of a sudden, all that goes away. And everybody's, you know, super amenable to us again. But um, as we got further into uh, the, the year to the closer, 
then the project manager started becoming very abusive to my staff. Would yell at them, would, would you know, call them names, all that kind of stuff. And, and that's where I kind of drew the line. So I was like, look, you guys obviously don't want us here. Um, and you're impeding whatever work that it is that we are doing. And now you're becoming abusive to my staff and, and trying to point the finger. So my team's going to deliver the code and we're going to walk. We're going to walk away. So they, they beg us to stay and they come up with this change request. And in the change request process, essentially it was going to be about $300,000. And so I said, look, I, I think everybody's at fault here. So I said, I think you guys should pay $100,000. We'll pay $100,000. And you know, this organization over here should pay $100,000. And let's get this done in, in the spirit of, of teamwork. So everybody agrees to that. What I didn't know was how they agreed to it. And, and what I mean by that is everybody was kind of a handshake deal. And so what we did was, I, I think the overall project was like 1.2 million. What we did uh, was move that line to 1.3 million and then showed all of the hours that we had done for 1.4 million, but wrote off 100,000, essentially zeroed out a bill rate so they could see that we were contributing $100,000 to the project. Um, what they did is, is, so I went from 1.2 to 1.3 and then wrote off from 1.4. What they did is took the 1.2 and moved it down to 1.1 because of our $100,000 contribution, which would not get us the, the $200,000 even. That actually turns a $400,000 change into to nothing. And um, so we're, we're progressing. Now, they, they did not reveal that to me. And so as we're going through, invoices started to back up. We deliver all of our code. And on the day that we delivered it, about an hour later, I get an email telling me about the 1.3 to 1.2, essentially saying we're not going to pay you $400,000. Um, and that's devastating as a small business owner, right? So I've got my staff, I'm paying my staff. And th this is really where it, it tied it in for me um, with the person that I, I was the expert witness to. So she uh, had a handshake deal. They were like, hey, we're trying to get this done, but we need, to, need you to get started. She'd already had like a two-year relationship with the organization. They had no intent of paying. And so essentially they stiffed her out of, I think it was $1.4 million total. Um, the difference in, in her and me is I paid my staff. I didn't want them to bear the financial responsibility. I believe that's my responsibility as a business owner. So I paid my staff and then I dealt with the shortage um, with the company. Um, she uh, didn't pay the staff. And, and again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but she didn't pay the staff and then sued the organization and then said all of their paychecks are pending on the litigation so you had people that were working incredible hours under incredible stress, putting in, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work and then getting stiffed and now being told to wait for two years as a lawsuit. For me, um, I didn't go the lawsuit route. I mean, they stiffed me out of $400,000 essentially. Um, I didn't feel like that there was a whole lot I could do. And 400000 is a lot to me, but in the grand schemes of litigation, lawyers, that kind of stuff, I mean, you can run up $300,000 in, in lawyer bills. And so I wasn't going to run up $300,000 to, to recover for. Um, but why I tell this 
is because I know there's a lot of people that are out there um, that uh, have a situation where a large company has stiffed them of money or they've gotten screwed out of something and, and you're kind of left holding the bag. And there's really no protection um, as, as a small business owner when that occurs, right? You can either fight and try to go through the contracting battle or not. What seems to be universal is the doubt and depression that comes with it. So as a business owner, you start to begin to doubt, is this something that you want to do anymore? I actually uh, took almost a year off and and worked on the entertainment side of the house, which only drove me further into debt uh, and almost cost me everything. But the, the depression of something that large failing and kind of everything being on your shoulders um, can be devastating to a business owner. And you start to question you know, whether or not you actually want to do this stuff anymore. Uh, in the case of the lady I was working with, she's out of the business. She, she's doing something completely different. For me, um, you know, it's, it's really six years post the story for me, and I'm still climbing out uh, to, to get back to the financial position I was in you know, six years ago. And we're close, but we're not quite there. But the the point being is it's taken me six years to maintain the business, maintain the re- relationship. And, and after six years, I'm just back to where I was before I started with this company. Um, and I think it's incredible that that people don't understand that. And so I, I want to tell this story because if, if you're in accounts payable, if you're a CIO, CEO, CFO, and, you know, your thought is, you know, we're not, we're not going to pay this group. Um, understand what the ramifications of that can be. Um, you know, in the case of, of some of my employees, uh, spouses died, marriages crumbled, things like that because of the pressure of the situation. You throw money pressure on top of that. Um, and, and, you know, I've been happily married for 22 years now, and uh, it almost cost me my marriage. Uh, because of how long it took to to course correct, um, it, it's it's just amazing to me that organizations would put people through that, and especially when the group that was hired was to come in and to change and to revolutionize and to work through your organization, but it just got crushed through politics, through people not wanting to change, people holding onto their kingdoms, and that seems to be more rampant um, the larger the organization is. So we're going to pause right here. We'll take our last break. We'll be right back with the work-life balance. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile. And there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. 
Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CA PPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged all while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA project and portfolio management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on this final segment of the Work-Life Balance talking about uh, one of my biggest project failures that uh, I'd ever gone through. And uh, so what I want to do now, though, is, is flip it a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, what, what happened afterwards and, and what good uh, really did come out of this. I think... Um, some of the most successful entrepreneurs and business people that, that I talk to, we, we've all had a period in our lives like this. Uh, something went wrong, something was money, almost lost it all, and, and you really have to kind of fight back. And so I think it's a cornerstone of my story at this point of, of my life story now that this did occur, that I did go through it. One of the things I recognized was my leadership lid. Um, we talk about you know, the law of the lid, if, if you've ever read uh, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and the law of the lid was, was clear to me that, that that project at that point, the way that I was running it, the way I was doing things, um, it, it, my lid was, was, a, uh, was a detriment to the project. And so I started a personal journey right then on, on how to improve my leadership communication skills um, and, and what I could do to, to improve myself. And that led me to the John Maxwell team, which I think is one of the, the best decisions I've ever made in, in my life personally, um, to be a part of that team and to start to grow that way. Uh, I learned a ton about um, trusting my gut more and um, looking at the red flag, seeing things that, that are coming up and uh, being able to uh, quickly adjust. I, I, to give you an example of that, um, we had started with this new organization and everything was, was cost. It was cost, 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 no value, no understanding of the time. And they were beating us up after all of our invoices. So when we sent the first invoice in, I was like, look, just pay what you think is fair. Um, we're, you know, building a new relationship here. Well, when the second invoice came in, they called my partner uh, organization instead of calling me directly. 
um, which I thought was embarrassing. And at that point, I was like, uh, if this is the way we're going to play politically, then the remnants of this other project started to, to appear in my head. So I cut the relationship at that point. I went to the company and I said, look, I don't think we're going to work well together. I think what you need is a fixed price. And they were like, yeah, yeah. Do, do you do that? And I was like, no. Um, but there are companies out there that will do that uh, fixed price for you. We're just not one of those. So we actually refunded any of the money uh, that they paid us so far, which wasn't a lot. It was like eight grand, something like that. But uh, I, I learned quickly to, to pay the 8000 and walk away versus trying to push through and, and it costing me 400000 in the long run, right? So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of good messages that, that came out of this for us. Um, I think the, the biggest thing was, was the rebuilding of my confidence. Um, my confidence, my ego, my, my will to push through things always was damaged to a point of almost no return. Um, and so to slowly have to, to deal with you, right, deal with what's inside of you, um, and push through that and find that confidence and find that swagger and find um, that goal again was very difficult. I remember uh, very clearly it was right towards the end of the, that project um, and I was doing a speaking engagement and it was probably the worst engagement I ever did. It was one of my best clients. They, they, they were the people that gave me my start and uh, I had a guy walk up to me and just go, dude, are you okay? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. And he goes, no, he goes, I can see the burnout all over your face. And that was, that was a wake up call to me. That was devastating to me um, that that occurred. So it took me, you know, two or three years to really rebuild my speaking practice. It took me about four years to truly rebuild my, uh, my clarity practice and my CAPPM practice. And, and I'm glad I went through it. Um, I don't wish it on anybody, but I think it's interesting um, how much that's, that's still in the back of my mind and how much this project affects me. And at the end of the day, I think the only reason why it failed is because the incumbent company that we were coming into work with, like I, it, it, here's, here's the kicker. I didn't tell this part of the story. This is a kicker. The day that we got there to start this project, they were about to throw clarity out. They, they'd actually signed a contract with another vendor to replace the tool, which means all of these people that were creating so many problems for us, they were all going to lose their jobs or have to go to another client or something, but they certainly weren't going to be working there. And because we were able to convince them that the tool was far superior than, than what they knew, they, they took a chance. So essentially, we saved all their positions. And we came in saying, look, we don't want the long-term contract. We just want to make some changes. We'll turn it over to you guys and you, you can work it from there. Um, but because they didn't want that to exist, um, they torpedoed it at, at every step of the way. And a lot of the decisions that was being made were being made the, by people that not only make a great salary, but were on salary, which means, you know, you don't pay this invoice, yeah, my kids don't eat, but they still got to check that week, right? I mean, that kind of stuff. Um, so I really think that that was the the, the key point of, of failure is that just their refusal to do that. So in the long run, right, I lost $400,000, almost lost the business, but they spent probably three and a half to $4 million on this project that failed. And it was all 
due to politics. It's unbelievable how much waste happens in organizations based on poor decision making. And, and all of that came flooding back to me as I was, as I was doing this expert witness case, because to them, they, they had spent probably six and a half million dollars um, and ended up in the same place we were. And then when stories like this come out, people go, well, that's all on project management. And it's not. It's, it's back to executive leadership and back to the corporate culture of an organization. And so my new path and my new way is instead of trying to improve a project office, I am, I am focused on corporate culture and I'm focused on executive level decision making so that hopefully I can prevent something like this from happening to, to anybody else. Um, and so that's the goal. And that's why I do this. That's why I do the radio show. That's why I talk about portfolio management. And, and that's why I continue to have uh, the people on the show uh, that we have because my, my goal is not just work-life balance for, for your employees. That comes from a, a proper corporate culture. So that's all for this week. Um, Next week, we're going to be in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, we're going to pull something together for the live show. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do yet, but uh, I'll be with some incredible speakers there, and I'll grab a couple of them, and we'll do a live show from Richmond, Virginia, as we're at the PMI uh, conference out there. Uh, the week after that, we'll be back home, uh, and we've got some really exciting guests uh, that are coming up. Uh, got a couple of great authors uh, with new books and, and some new leadership things as well. Um, so we'll, we'll announce them as they come, but I'm super excited, uh, to be back with you guys. We will be with you next week. Please stay tuned to voice America business network for our next show. But until then we will talk to you guys next Friday. You've been listening to the work-life balance with Rick Morris. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.